A couple weeks ago, I, I described a little bit of the story of St. Patrick, my patron saint, and uh, one whom I've been learning more about lately and praying to a lot. And he came onto my heart again this week uh, with our readings today, especially this period of his life. St. Patrick, as I mentioned, was uh, born in the late 300s um, and kind of came of age in the early 400s. He was captured as a slave. He was from Britain, captured as a slave, taken over to Ireland, and then he escaped after six years of being a slave um, in the middle of nowhere in the 400s. Uh, he, he escaped and got back home. And it's then that he sort of developed a contemplative life of prayer. While he was a slave, he was mostly shepherding sheep, so he was by himself a lot with the sheep. And that's when he began to pray and take his Christian faith that he was born with more seriously. Um, but it's when he came back, he started to really experience um, an intimacy with God. And he started having some dreams that, that he believed was God calling him, or the people of God calling him, back to Ireland to announce the gospel. Um, but he describes uh, some of his prayer experiences in a very vivid way in his one letter that we have uh, about his life called The Confession. And he says after he, um, after he hears these voices calling him back to Ireland in a dream, he describes these, these two prayer experiences. He says, On another night, I do not know, God knows, whether it was within me or beside me, I heard authoritative words which I, couldn't, I could hear but not understand, until at the end of the speech it became clear, quote, The one who gave his life for you, he it is who speaks in you. And I awoke full of joy. The one who gave his life for you, he it is who speaks in you. And I awoke full of joy says, another time I saw in me one who was praying. It was as if I were inside my body, and I heard above me, that is above my inner self, he prayed strongly with sighs. I was amazed and astonished, and pondered who it, who it was who prayed in me. But at the end of the prayer, it was clear that it was the Spirit. At this I awoke, and I remembered the apostle saying, the Spirit helps the weaknesses of our prayer. For we do not know, we do know what it is we should pray, but the very Spirit pleads for us with unspeakable sighs, which cannot be expressed in words. What St. Patrick is experiencing here is the Holy Spirit praying within him. God himself, the one who gave his life for you, he it is who speaks in you. The Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, he's experiencing drawing him into intimacy with the Trinity. As you know, uh, uh, one of the legends of St. Patrick is that he taught the Irish what the Trinity was with the three-leafed clover, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's one God, three persons. The Trinitarian faith was so important to St. Patrick. Just a few years prior to his birth, um, in 381, the uh, bishops of the world gathered in Constantinople for the first council of Constantinople. And that's where, finally, the creed that we say every Sunday after the homily, I believe in one God, Father the Almighty, the, the Constantinopolitan, the, the Niceno-Constantinopolitan Creed, hard to say, so we just call it the Nicene Creed, uh, that's where that was formulated, and the full Trinitarian faith was kind of like spelled out very explicitly, because there were controversies up to that point. We had the Apostles' Creed, which you probably pray at the beginning of the, um, of the re- Rosary, but that's just the very basic apostolic faith handed on to the Church through the Apostles, but Um, instead of just saying, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, now we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, 
who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified. So we're saying the Holy Spirit himself is God. The Holy Spirit who speaks our prayer to the Father in Jesus, in us, through us, with us, that is God. We actually have this tile in front where you stand when you receive Holy Communion here, Dominum et Vivificantem. That's Latin for the Lord and giver of life, this line from the Creed about the Holy Spirit. He is the Lord, and he speaks in and through us. But there's another theological principle that's important to understand. Divine simplicity. It's just a fancy way of saying you can't divide God. God is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but he's perfectly one. Unlike any other thing in the universe, any other being that exists can be divided into parts. You can be divided into parts, but God cannot. That's why, for instance, every particle of the Eucharist, because it becomes Jesus, the bread and wine become the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus, every drop of the precious blood, every particle of the host is the full presence of God. God can't be divided into pieces. So if you receive Jesus in the Eucharist, you receive the living God, the full God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Wherever the Son is, there is the Father and the Spirit. Wherever the Spirit is, there is the Father and the Son. And so these experiences of Patrick, of having the Holy Spirit pray within him, he's being carried and, and, and um, brought into being and to his most perfect self by the Holy Trinity, by this creative uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this communion of persons. Um, and so he becomes someone radiant, you know. He's just a simple kid at that point. He's only 22 years old, but it calls him to this legendary life. Um, I bring these up because our readings are all about some of the hardest things about being Christian. Loving your enemies, praying for those who persecute you, you know, forgiving those who wrong you, turning the other cheek when you're, when you're struck. You know, these challenging teachings of Christ... And then, as if to just top it with the cherry on top, he says, oh yeah, and be perfect. Just as your Heavenly Father is perfect. That's what God wants from you. Be perfect. Well, it would be easy to just kind of throw your, your hands up and say, I guess Christianity is not for me. I can't be perfect. I know myself too well, and God, you know me. Maybe I'm not one of your chosen ones. I'm not perfect, if that's what you insist on. But, it's not simply like us going, coming to God and trying really hard and becoming perfect. It's, it's what Patrick was experiencing after his conversion, was this mysterious holiness was being worked in him, but not by him. He was cooperating with it, yes. He had to make choices. He had to open him, himself to the Holy Spirit. But he, what he was experiencing was, the one who gave his life for you, he it is who speaks in you. It was as if I was in my body, but then above my inner self, this Holy Spirit was sighing with sighs too deep for words. He was drawing me into communion. And so this holiness is something that God works in us. This perfection is not something we do. It's something God is. And then he shares it with us. It's so beautiful. At the Last Supper, Jesus described it with the analogy of the vine and the branches. He said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If a branch gets broken off the vine, it gets thrown out, it withers, it dies, it's only good to be burned. But if a, a branch remains on the vine, it stays green, and it draws its life from the vine, and it bears fruit, fruit that will last. 
And at the end of that, that little passage about the vine and the branches, he says, I've said this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. He said it so we can share his joy. So this is, this is our broken humanity. We hear be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And we just think about ourselves and how imperfect we are. But God sees you, fallen, yes, a sinner, yes, in need of redemption, a little bit of work, but he sees the potential for perfection in you, to participate in his life, and he wants you to have it, not for him, but for you, so his joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. Lastly, this uh, reading from St. Paul to the Corinthians, he says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That you, in English we have just you for plural and singular, although in the South they say y'all for plural. Put it as y'all if you want, because in Greek it's the plural. Y'all are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You as a community. The church is the, the body of Christ in which the Holy Spirit dwells like a soul animates a body. So we, the church, we are becoming perfect because the Holy Spirit who dwells in us is drawing us into communion with the Trinity. You all are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so we should see that happening in the church. A priest, I know, makes a joke that when he goes to a parish to help out with Mass and he reads the bulletin and he sees like a thousand different ministries and projects and plans that the parish has, he says they're The the prayer he hears in his heart is, God, bless the plans we've made for you. You know, because we're doing all sorts of things for God. And so help us do a lot of stuff for you. Not to be judgmental, and maybe those things are authentically coming out of people's own intimacy with God and, and a desire to serve him. But a lot of times we just kind of are hyperactive, trying to do things. When what God is calling us to do is is to simply be with him, to let him lead, and to let him work. And this is the, the last thing that, that what's so challenging to us, I think, sometimes it's easy to imagine that God is the beginning of all my work. He tells me what to do, and he helps me do it. But then, once I get done with it, then I can finally rest and have a little time to myself. Right? I've done everything that God asked me to do. He told me what to do, he helped me do it, now I'm done. But God is not just the beginning and the means, he's also the end. He's the purpose of everything we do. That communion that Patrick was already experiencing back home as a 22-year-old in, in England, that now he, that was driving him to go over to Ireland to do amazing things, to evangelize an entire people who didn't know the gospel. The point of it wasn't to go do amazing things. It was so that at the end of his life, he could rest again in this same communion that had been with him this whole time and said, well done, Patrick, my good and faithful servant. Now come enter your master's joy. Can you think of that as the beginning and end of your week, beginning and end of your day, beginning and end of your entire life is God? Because he's the one who works this holiness. It's only from God that we receive any sort of perfection, any sort of holiness. But it's for God that we become holy. In other words, we become holy so we can be with him. To become holy, you have to be with God. And to be with God, you have to be holy. And so we, we just let him work this in us. It doesn't happen automatically. We have to cooperate. We have to 
use the freedom he gave us to, to put ourselves in a position to be sanctified, to be made holy. Um, but we can trust that it's not our job, that it's something that God wants for us because he wants us to have his joy.